This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Uh, we now come to time of scripture reading. And let me invite up our sister Sophia to read the passage for us today from 2 Peter chapter 1. Okay, uh, good morning church. Uh, today's uh, reading is taken from 2 Peter chapter 1. And I'll be reading from the NIV version. Okay. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, have received a faith as precious as ours, grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body, because I know that I will soon put it aside, as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. For we do not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honour and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son, whom I love, and with him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable, and you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Sophie's sister, for the Bible reading. Uh, let me now invite up uh, Pastor Nick Wong 
give us a sermon for today. Nick. Good morning, friends. Okay, Second Peter is uh, hard to understand well. What's harder is living out what we see in the passage. So let's pray and ask God for help to apply this passage. Prepare our hearts, O God, to accept your word. Silence any voice in, in us but your own, that by hearing we may obey your will. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'd like you to remember, try to recall the time before handphones. Recall the time before handphones. Oh, before the time before, uh, time before handphones, I had arranged to meet a friend for lunch at 12 p.m. So we agreed uh, Sunday, okay, we'll meet for lunch during, the, during our school holidays. At 12 o'clock, my friend didn't come. So I waited and waited. And I thought, okay, maybe I won't call him yet because if I call him, what if he's on the way? Then uh, he'll not catch my call. So I just waited and waited and waited. After a long while, I, I couldn't wait anymore. So I got really hungry. I went to a phone booth, if you remember those days. And at, at, at the phone booth, I took out my uh, address book. I searched for my friend's number and then I took a 10 cent coin, put it in the fo- phone and called my friend. And shockingly, he picked up. And I said, oh, I'm so sorry, I forgot. I'm, so, I'm sorry you had to wait for me. Now, it's hard uh, to keep waiting, especially uh, when we get tired. Especially when there's no, there doesn't seem to be any sign that what you're waiting for will actually happen. All you have is just the promises that you, that you made beforehand, before waiting. And that's why we might feel about waiting for Jesus. See, Jesus came into our world. He did mighty miracles to prove he is God. And then he died on the cross to save us from our sins. But before that, he promised that he's coming back again to rescue us from this world, to bring us into the new creation, into his new kingdom. And now we wait patiently, he tells us. Now, waiting means we follow Jesus in the world that hates Jesus. And the world pressures us to follow, to follow the world rather than follow Jesus. Like, I, I know someone who, uh, who has non-Christian friends and his non-Christian group of friends keeps saying, hey, why do you go to church on Sundays? Relax, come and hang out with us. If, as time passed, those who witnessed Jesus' great miracles started to die then the next generation who heard the first disciples started to die. And the next generation, and next generation. Now, almost 2,000 years have passed. Still, Jesus hasn't returned. Should we keep waiting? And second, Peter. Peter is concerned for us because we are getting tired of waiting. The stresses of everyday life confront us. False teachers mock us for waiting for Jesus. Should we keep waiting? Peter says, yes, keep waiting because waiting has eternal consequences. So if you have a Bible, so turn with me to chapter 1, verse 10, verse 10, 11. This is what Peter says. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble and you, you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you keep waiting... You will never fall, and you'll be welcomed into Jesus' eternal kingdom. 
Jesus wants you to be in his eternal kingdom. And Jesus' strategy is to use this letter, use 2 Peter, Peter, for you. So in verse 12, So I, Peter, will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in in the truth you now have. Peter wrote to you, for you to remember that you were, what you were taught, to remember that Jesus is coming back again. So Second Peter is about remembering Jesus' return. So one way to remember what's going on in this passage is to remember about remembering. So chapter 1 is a, talks about the Christian worldview. The Christian worldview is that Jesus will return. So chapter 1 is remember Jesus' return and live accordingly. And the false teacher's worldview is different. The false teacher's worldview doesn't remember Jesus coming back. So chapter 2, beware of those who don't remember Jesus' return. And chapter 3 is when those two worldviews collide, when they clash. When those who, remember, who don't remember mock those who do remember. So remember Jesus' return despite scoffing. Now we have knowledge that Jesus is coming back. We have the promises. But we need to remember. So how do we keep waiting? Well, chapter 1 tells us. We remember the knowledge that grows and we remember the knowledge that you know. So look at the first, this is the first section, verse 1 to 11. Remember the knowledge that grows. In the first part of the passage, we get lots of encouragement to keep waiting. Look at verse 3 with me. Verse 3. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. His divine power, Christ's divine power, is empowering you to follow Him, uh, to follow Him now, to live the godly life now. While Jesus was on earth, how powerful was He? Just powerful. I mean, he raised the widow's dead son. He's calm, he calmed the storm with a word. He multiplied food for 5,000 men plus women and children. So this great divine power is yours. It's yours to live a godly life, to live for Jesus, to live like Jesus. And this divine power works through our knowledge of him. We tap into this divine power as we know Jesus more in verse 3. Through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. So as we read our Bibles, we reflect on what we know, how sinful we are, how glorious Jesus is. And so how gracious he is to save sinful people like you and I and to bring us into his eternal kingdom. How gracious Christ is to make all these promises to you and I who are undeserving. Like verse 4, through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises. So this means if you want Christ to work in you, you need to read your Bibles. Christ is like this a sculptor working on us. Now a sculptor has this great creative power and he exercises great creative powers, great, great creative genius through tools to create his masterpiece. In the same way, Christ has his great divine power and he exercises great divine power through our knowledge of him. 
So if you want this divine power in your life, read the Bible. If you want this divine power in your one-to-ones, read your Bible. If you want this divine power in your small groups, read your Bible. If you want this divine power uh, in your your family devotions, read the Bible. Christ's divine power works through our knowledge of him. And it works through our knowledge of him to make us more like Jesus. One of my classmates' father owns a bank in a foreign country. So this guy is really rich. So he never lacked anything. He had the coolest gadgets. and He had the coolest computers. And in those days, he skipped classes. And his, his father paid for the best tutors to get, to get him A's for the exam, even though he was hardly here. So that is the power of a rich father. And Christ, he's the king of the universe. He's more powerful than my friend's rich father. He has the power to give us anything, and he gives us the best thing that we need. He helps us to be godly. Now you might wonder, why doesn't Christ give us divine power to solve our problems? Maybe there's a serious issue at work, at school, at home, or maybe you're facing a personal crisis. Why is this power just reserved, just promised for our godliness? The answer is in verse 4. In the second half of verse 4, listen to what Peter says. So that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. The effect is that we may participate in a divine nature, that we may show the characteristics of Jesus. And we show that we are different from the world. We live like Jesus. And if we, and we do that, we'll be escaping the corruption that's in the world caused by evil desires. Now, Jesus has the power to fix all problems, but he doesn't promise us to do that now. Instead, for Jesus, what's more important is for us to become more and more like Jesus, to escape sin, become more like Jesus. That's, more, that's high up his priority because... That is more important for your soul. And becoming more and more like Jesus helps us to face our struggles in a godly way. Thank God that you can be sure that Christ's divine power is focused on our growth. Christ's divine power, through our knowledge, makes us more like Jesus. Because of that, we can diligently live the godly life. Verse uh, verse 5. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. Verse 5 to 7 show us what the godly life looks like. It's about diligently growing. Make every effort. Be rigorous. We Singaporeans are no stranger to hard work. We'll just ask like, Josh, our, our lawyer here. So the internet tells me that we are the most uh, overworked country in Asia Pacific. We know what it means to put in that extra hour in our studies, in our work, because we want to secure that job, uh, that grade, that pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. So Peter is, is, Peter is saying, oh, redirect your kiasu Singaporean workaholic attitude to your spiritual growth. 
And what, so what areas does Peter highlight? So he highlights eight areas, so I'll go through this quickly. So first, faith. So faith is about how we trust and we rely on Jesus to save us and for all of our lives. Now this faith doesn't arise from within you. See, this faith is actually a gift for you. This is what Peter says in verse 1. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, have received a faith as precious as ours. This is a faith that we receive. It's given to you, and we grow in this faith that we're given, to keep trusting in Jesus. And to this faith, we add goodness. It's about having godly character. So this means that this faith is not just inside. We, show ourselves, we, show, we have to show it outside in godly living. And to our goodness, we make every effort to add knowledge, to know Christ more. So as we know Christ more, we know what it means to live a godly life. And he goes to a few specific areas. Self-control. I mean self-control because of the false teachers. So look with me at chapter 2, verse 14. Chapter 2, verse 14. He's talking about the false teachers. With eyes full of adultery, they never stop sinning. They seduce the unstable, they're experts in greed and a cursed brood. The false teachers, they never stop sinning and they're trying to woo you to follow them. So we mustn't follow them. We must have self-control not to follow them. We must have self-control not to say yes to the false teachers, not to give in to their sin. But it's not enough to just say yes to them today and tomorrow give in to what they say. To self-control, we need to add perseverance. We have to persevere in self-control tomorrow, the day after, and all the way until Jesus comes back again. Add to your self-control, perseverance, and to your perseverance, godliness. So this is to add everything else that Jesus talks about. To add joy, uh, to add gentleness, to add purity in your lives. Now this list doesn't end here because the last two are very important. Mutual affection and love. You see, these two tell us that the godly life isn't lived out by yourself or in your in, in your at home. You don't have to meet Christians, you don't have to love Christians. No, you cannot exercise brotherly love or mutual affection by yourself. You need to be with other believers. That's how you practice mutual affection. And what does it look like for us to grow in these areas? Well, for us, as we, know, as we want to know Jesus more, we read the Bible more. And the Bible will tell us every day uh, every time we read, how to respond to his word. So if you read the Bible every day, then by, by next year, you would grow in about 365 ways. Or maybe you might feel that there is as one aspect that you need to focus on to grow for a season. And you put in extended effort to grow uh, with, while not neglecting the, all the other areas. So for example, if you want to uh, grow in your... Uh, in a struggle against anger, you can read this book on anger. I've, I've told some of you that I think this is one of the best books on the topic of anger. Read it, reflect on it, and grow in your struggle against it. This, maybe discuss the topic with your friends. Listen to sermons on this topic. And there's also this family 
uh, that I heard of. So every season, they, they think about one area that they particularly want to grow in. So during the family Bible time, the children can ask their parents, Daddy, Mommy, how are you growing in your anger? And the parents can ask the children, Children, how are you growing in your love for one another? So remember the knowledge that grows. And Peter ends this section with two uh, exhortations, two uh, yeah, motivations for us to continue. So first is the warning. So warning is in verse 8. Look at verse 8 and verse 9. Do you see what is the warning there? Verse 8 and verse 9. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is short-sighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. When your knowledge of Jesus doesn't cause you to grow in your godliness, you are ineffective and unproductive. I mean, we might know of people like that. They go to church, but they don't love other people. They don't exercise self-control. They are people, they call themselves Christians, but they're known more for their ungodliness. In verse 9, it's as if they, were, they are nearsighted and blind. So I, I looked at MOH this week, and MOH says that Singapore is known as the myopia capital in the world. 65% of our children are short-sighted before primary 6. 83% of young adults are short-sighted. And for those of us who are not wearing spectacles, maybe that's because you had LASIK. Now imagine a day without glasses, without contact lenses. You can't see the bus uh, to get on. And if you want to take a train to Colvin, you might end up going the wrong way and end up at Harbour Front. And when you're hungry, you want to buy, you want to get lunch, you can't even choose what you want for your mala. If your knowledge is ineffective in helping you grow as, in your godliness as you wait, then you are a functional non-Christian. You see, verse 9 says, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Now, I don't, I don't think this means that people forget the information that Jesus died on the cross. But because of their godly lives, but their godly li- ungodly lives, like deny that Jesus died on the cross for them. The cross makes no difference in their lives. So as you wait, you either grow as a Christian or you forget as a functional non-Christian. That's the warning. And now, there's another exaltation. It doesn't just end negatively. There's an exaltation, an encouragement to grow. So that's in verse 10 and 11. We grow because we want to confirm our eternal security. Verse 10. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will be, you'll receive a rich welcome into, into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. When you are diligent to grow, it confirms your calling, confirms your election. It helps us be more sure that Jesus has saved us. Our growth in godliness are signs that God has really called you, has really chosen you as Christians. That's why Christ's divine power is at work in you as you diligently grow. 
So, that, so we have more and more assurance that Jesus has saved us in the past. And we have more and more assurance that in the future, Jesus will welcome us into his kingdom. So growing godliness means saying yes to Jesus now and saying no to, no to sin. There's great cost, but there is also great benefit. See, when you make every effort to grow, verse 10 and 11 says, you have confidence in the eternal goal. Now, I heard a story about three men laying bricks together. They're working together side by side, laying bricks, doing the same thing. Now, someone came by and he asked the first person, hey, what are you doing? And the first man said, I'm laying bricks. And this, then they asked the second man, what are you doing? And the second man said, I'm building a wall. And he asked the third man, what are you doing? And the third man said, I'm building a cathedral. Now they're all doing the same action, all laying bricks, but it's only the last man who caught the vision of what he's doing. And that's the same for us. You see, we need to do the task of growing as Christ is working in us. But we also need to hold on to the vision of growing. See, verse 5 to 7 instructs us on the task of growing, to grow in every part in our godliness. Verse 10 to 11 gives us the vision to make every effort because we want to be welcomed into the kingdom. Do you want to be welcomed into the kingdom? Then remember the knowledge that grows you. So today we're trying to find out how to keep waiting for Jesus' to return. So first, remember the knowledge that grows you. Let's look at the second point. Remember the knowledge that you know. Now check out verse 12. Okay, there's a repeated phrase, repeated idea there. See if you can catch it. Verse 12 to verse 15. So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body, because I know I will soon put it aside as our Lord, and, our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. Remember, remember, remember. These are truths that Christians already know. But our memories need refreshing. Our memories need stirring up. It's as if our memories have gone to sleep. Maybe the daily grind at school and at work have distracted us. Or maybe we're facing a bigger struggle than uh, that's taking all our focus, all our energies. So whatever the situation is, you need set this letter to wake your memory up, to give it a good shake, to remember Jesus' glorious and good promises for you. Now today uh, it is Mother's Day, so happy Mother's Day to the mothers in our midst today. A survey in the U.S. showed that one quarter of people forgot Mother's Day. Now, we know there is a Mother's Day every year in May, but we can forget. So we must well, wake up our memories to remember and celebrate it with your mother. So if you, haven't, if you have forgotten, don't worry, there's still time today to get something nice. It's just that the flowers are a bit more expensive today. In the same way, we need to remember Jesus. We need to remember that Jesus is coming back, no matter how big the size of our struggle. Otherwise, we'll forget. Now, this is, Peter thinks it's so important that 
as he's about to die, in verse 50, he makes every effort to write this letter for us. So that for, for us and for the generations after us, we will remember, we will refresh our memory, stir up our memory that Jesus is coming back. Remember who Jesus is. This is a message that you know. Remember it. And that's not all. This is a message that we can trust. It has been witnessed by the apostles and spoken by the prophets. It's witnessed by the apostles. Verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power. Jesus is coming back. Christians know this. This wasn't a myth that the, the disciples invented. Because Peter, James, and John witnessed something. They witnessed something about Jesus' return. Now, I expect verse 16 to say something like this. For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we heard Jesus telling us that he's coming back again. That's not what he says. See, Peter says, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received glory, he said, honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came, came to him from the majestic glory saying, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. Peter's talking about where the time when Jesus was transfigured. So what happened is, when Jesus was, was on earth, Jesus brought Peter, James, and John up a mountain. And his appearance changed. His clothes, his, his face became dazzlingly white and bright. And then famous, famous characters in the Old Testament, Moses and Elijah appeared and talked with them. I talked with Jesus. And suddenly a cloud covered them all. They couldn't see anything. And the disciples heard the voice, heard God the Father say, say, this is my son whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. And the cloud faded and Jesus' appearance changed back. Now this happened in the past, even, be even before Jesus died. Peter says, this is proof that Jesus is coming back again. Now, how is this proof that Jesus is coming back again? Anyone knows who this person is? Okay, well, this is... Yeah, some of you might know. Yes, it's King Charles III. Uh, last week, he, we, uh, they, they had this coronation. So he, his coronation, he's, I, I, I didn't watch, but this is what I read on the internet. He was anointed with oil and was given the royal symbols. This, the orb, which is like a circle thing, and a scepter, which is like a, the staff he's holding. Now, people around the world uh, watch this. So when someone asks, who's going to give the king's speech in UK when the UK parliament starts? The answer is, it's King Charles, because they saw him coronated. So the coronation declared that this man is the king. And the coronation confirms that he will carry out the duties of the king. In the same way, the transfiguration confirmed that Jesus is the forever king that God appointed. Because the father said, this is my son. When he says that, he's saying that Jesus is a king. So we get this from the Old Testament in Psalms. So I, this David, to proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. And this is, what we have, this is what the son gets. Ask me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. So you are my son. This is a declaration that Jesus is king because Jesus 
gets to, get, gets to receive all the nations as his inheritance, the ends of the earth as his possession. But this hasn't happened yet. So as king, Jesus will receive all the, all the nations as his inheritance when he returns. To save his people, to defeat all his enemies, Jesus will carry out this duty when he returns. And someone has put it this way. It's like saying we have been at his coronation, so of course he, Jesus, is king and will return as king. So the apostles, they witness that Jesus is king. And they tell you so. So that you can, so that, and they remind you so, so that you can be ready when Jesus returns for you, to bring you into his, his eternal kingdom. And that's not all. You see, we have even more confirmation from the Old Testament. Verse 19. We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable, and you do well to pay attention to it, as a light shining in a dark place. Until the day dawns, the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. You and I, we have the confirmation from the Old Testament that God's appointed king will return. So our response is we need to pay attention to this reliable word from the Old Testament, like a light uh, that guides us as we walk in a dark place. It guides us as we navigate the darkness uh, of, of the world in rebellion against God. I, guess, I, I remember last year, was it last year? Yeah, at the end of last year, uh, I went for a barbecue with one of the Bible study groups. And it was late, and they needed light to look, look at the meat they're cooking, uh, to look at the meat to see whether it's raw or not, and to cut it properly. So what they, what they, had, what they needed is, they needed a torch to shine a light uh, on, on the food. They need a light in a dark place. In the same way, we need scripture as a guide, as a light in this dark place as we wait for the day, dawn, day to dawn when Jesus returns. Now you might ask, how do I know that the Old Testament is reliable? How can I trust these words? But the answer is in verse 21. Verse 21, this is what Peter says. For no prophecy had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. We can trust the Old Testament scriptures because the, Old, because the Holy Spirit was working in them as they wrote. The Holy Spirit worked in the writers so that they would write exactly what God the Father wanted. Now friends, as you read the Bible, are you excited? Because in your hands, you hold the very words of God. The holy and eternal and transcendent God condescended to us to use human language that can be translated so that you and I can hear his voice. To remind us again that Jesus is coming back. To help you persevere now as you wait for Jesus to return so that you may be in Jesus' eternal kingdom. So this is a word that's witnessed by, the prophet, witnessed by the apostles, spoken by the prophets, so that you can trust that this message you know is from God. It's about Jesus' return, and, as you, and you can remember, you can remember the message that you know. 
Jesus is coming back for you. So persevere in your godliness until he brings you into his eternal kingdom. Today, we, we, remember that, we remember the knowledge that grows us. Remembering Jesus' return helps us grow in godliness. Today, we also remember the knowledge that we know. And sometimes it feels that we are waiting for, Je- waiting for, well, we're waiting for Jesus. Well, it feels like a waste of time. Like how I felt wait, like, uh, waiting for my friend who didn't come. I'm waiting for Jesus. We struggle, uh, we struggle now, living for him, saying no to sin. We also struggle with the thorns and thistles of living in a fallen world. And we don't know how long this wait will be. Friends, Jesus has given you reminders through the Bible. Jesus has given you reminders through Second Peter. So that after Peter's departure, he will always be able to remember these things and persevere until Jesus brings you into his eternal kingdom. How do we wait now? Remember the knowledge that grows you and remember the knowledge that you know. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you for nourishing us with your words of life. Please continue to use this message to work, to work in us, continue your good work in us until it is complete at the day of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you, Nick, for the sermon. It's uh, one to remember. Uh, okay, uh, we'll now move to some reflection and uh, discussion. We'll be looking at these three questions. Uh, one, Christianity is the same as other religions. It teaches people to do good. What would Peter say to this? Number two, how does today's passage encourage us to grow in our godliness? And number three, how can we keep remembering Jesus' return? We'll take about three to four minutes to discuss these questions and then we'll come back together after this. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at bcpc.sg.